Hey everybody, welcome to the newest episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Bryce Knights in Portland. Uh, for those of you who don't know Bryce, uh, he is an SF native, correct? That is correct. Um, he is a former pro skateboarder. That is correct. <laughs> uh, and in a brilliant photographer. And, you know, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Chris. And, you know, it's kind of funny to me because as a kid, I grew up skating and, of course, watching you skate and you were riding for Schmidt Sticks and you had, you know, I definitely have seen all those photos of you skating back in the day with Tommy and the gang. But not only when you were skating, you were also documenting San Francisco skate scene the whole time. Correct. I was. Yeah, it was just wherever we went to skate, my camera came with us and it started before my pro career and even an amateur skateboarder. Um, my father was a hobbyist photographer and we always had photos um, hanging up around the house and he had a little dark room and I was just inspired by photography. So that kind of got me sparked and got me going before I was involved in skateboarding. So about 12 years old is when I really started, you know, getting, uh, interest in, in photography so when you when you were skating in san francisco i mean it's such a san francisco is such an iconic skate scene right so you know you and tommy skated all the time but like tommy was tommy was a younger kid he was younger he was our little brother i grew up with tony which is you know for those of you who don't know tony guerrero tony owns a crumpet business here in san, in uh, in portland um, that are absolutely delicious. We serve them here at Jackrabbit. Excellent. There you go, Tony. You just got your plug. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like you, and a lot of people don't know, Tony ripped too. Absolutely. Tony was a sponsored amateur for Santa Cruz skateboards. His little brother rose above and became pro and, um, Tony still skates. He just didn't pursue that, um, career path. Which is, I mean, Which everybody chooses their path. Yeah. So when you look at the history of San Francisco and skating and, and your trajectory of like turning pro street skating was massive in San Francisco. I mean, it's, I, I would pretty much like to say that street skating, in my opinion was kind of a combination of LA like Venice beach and, and San Francisco. Would you agree with that? Well, well, I would agree with that. All the urban centers around America, um, including Atlanta, Seattle, New York, they all had parallel universes going on with their, their um, architecture. So all the skaters all of a sudden realized it was cool to go downtown and find different spots and skate everything. There were no skate stoppers at the time or security guards, and we were finding spots daily in San Francisco, just discovering new spots every other day. Just, it was an unbelievable. Was I mean, perfect example, Golden Gate Park, Two times a year, they drain the fly fishing ponds. Yes, the casting ponds. Casting yeah. ponds. Um, and then you've got, hell, what is it, Hell Ditch, uh, the old... Oh, down in uh, Colma, hell, the Hell Hole. Hell Hole, yep. right? Which, Those uh, were ponds as well You know, at a, at a cemetery. Yeah. So there's all these spots that are like iconic. Yeah, Fort Miley out on the ocean. Which know. people still skate. Still there. And still they still there. get busted by the park rangers. That is correct. Uh, I we think used to skate Fort Miley before the bars were put up for safety. There were no railings or bars up there. It was just a bank. Yeah. Which is crazy to think. I mean, you look at you look at architecture and 
you know, I wonder how many skaters went into architecture just to design buildings that were skatable. <laughs> you would think about that now, right? Absolutely. I mean, you've seen the progression. I mean, you and I have talked about it many times, but also at the whole time you were skating, becoming pro, you know, you were also part of this group. There was a cluster of you guys that really kind of, I would say shaped the vision of what skating, street skating was looked at as. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a style of appearance. There was a, multiple different styles of skating. And, you know, it really, and you documented the whole thing, which is so special in its own way because I, I think if you weren't there to document all those things, we wouldn't really, it would just be like happenstance, a couple pictures here and there. And I say that with, with air quotes because I think yeah. you, a lot of your photos from beginning of time have been all published. You know, people were reaching out to you for photographs. Right. Um, there were other photographers as well, but it wasn't a big thing back then. You weren't really trying to shoot for a publication. It was just kind of a hobbyist situation. You're just shooting your friends and having fun. And uh, Luke Ogden was younger than me, and so was Tobin Yelland. And those guys were shooting photos and documenting the same scene sometimes at the same place. And it didn't come off as like, hey, hold back off. This is my shoot. We just all shot together. It was whatever happened, happened, you know? So it wasn't really structured. It was just as organic in photography as it was with skating each spot day to day. So what were you using as a camera back then? Um, my first camera was a Nikon F5, I think, or 4. It's an old F body um, that my dad gave me for my um, 12th birthday or something like that. And then I, when I started working at Thrasher Magazine as an uh, apprentice there, I was the first kind of paid intern, um, they were all on the Canon system. So I switched over and I was shooting with a Canon AE-1. That was my first camera. Wow. Yeah. So everything was Canon. I could use some of their lenses. Um, shot my first fisheye photos with Canon. So I, I used a lot of Canon gear and always have. Yeah. So your, your career spanned how many years skating? Oh, uh, well, in terms of photography, I'd say I really started getting into it in 1980, 81, end of 1980. Yeah. But your professional skating career was? Professional. I, was, I turned professional in um, January of 1988. And that went through the end of 92. So it's pretty good. Pretty good run. You know? I mean, you know, I think, I think about all those photos and, and the images, like perfect example, I think, uh, Chinatown bridge. Yep. Right. Those banks are like They're gnarly. Still, th still there. They're still there. They're still skatable. They haven't put up stoppers. They're There's gnarly. Stop stoppers on the benches, but you can still carve over the benches. Exactly. Do, do tricks over the benches. Yeah. It's gnar That's a gnarly. It's hard to skate, and especially with the modern skateboards with the longer noses, you your nose digs. So you really have to carve far and, and wide, and be light on your feet. You can't fluff through it like we did in you know the eighties. It was different. with a little stub nose. Yeah, snub noses and big wheels. And <laughs> big wheels would get you through no problem. <laughs> and uh, I tried and tried and tried to carve the long bench and got close, but never did it. Um, there's only a couple guys that have, including Julian Stranger. So that, that's a hard one. Yeah. So thinking of like San Francisco and like of those names that you've shot, like the people that have come out of the city that 
have really like those 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 showstopper moments for you? Like what have been some of those? Like, you know, I think about it, I think about Julian, I think about Cardial, I think about, you know, shooting Tommy and then I mean, there's so many well, more I'm well, missing. Definitely, definitely in the beginning, it was Tommy Guerrero because I was so close to him and we just always skated together. So I have a lot of Tommy Gons, I'm uh, sure. images and Gons and Nottis used to come up and visit all the time. So I have a lot of t- Gons and Nottis and uh, Julian Stranger. His mom lived in San Francisco. His dad was in Venice. So he was back and forth. Mickey Reyes, Tony Guerrero, as were mentioned, um, Mike Archimedes. Wow, I haven't Jim heard that Thibault name. from the East Bay, East Bay, like Danny Sargent. Danny Sargent came later, but yeah. Coco Santiago. Coco Santiago. Um, uh, even Jake Phelps when he showed up. Joe Lopes and his ramp in San Leandro. Uh, there were so many scenes and so many guys that were involved. It was great, you know. Um, and that's I think is what people don't realize, like how many pockets of people were there. Yeah, and it was all on on a wide open plane. There wasn't like kind of a division at that point it wasn't like i only skate street or i only skate vert we just skated everything whatever was decided upon that day or that weekend we'd go skate it could be a pipe it could be a pool it could be street it could be a backyard ramp we just skated we were just skate skate rats i mean that's and that to me is what made it so great i think you know growing up in rhode island looking from afar you know and it was the same thing for us. It was cold outside. We would skate inside a parking garage, right? Because there was snow on the ground. But if there was like ramp in the backyard, we'd jump on a ramp. You know, it was yep. whatever. And I mean, here you guys had more access. You had Santa Cruz going on. You By having Santa Cruz skateboards down the way, you had right. that real close. Right. Indy, right? Yep, that was in San Francisco. In San Francisco. Yep. And you had so, and Thrasher being here, you had this culture that was building. Yeah. And we had the city. The which is really scene. diverse in its its whole scheme of things. We had different neighborhoods that offered different spots. We had hills. You never had to have a car in San Francisco. You could just use the buses and the public transportation and your skateboard to get around. Seven by seven miles. It's no problem. And you know, not too far out of out of the city, you had you know Stevie Caballero was living not too far away. Correct. Right, and that park, which what park was that down there? Uh, there was Winchester Skate yep, Park Winchester. And, and Campbell Skate Park. Those were the two that Steve uh, frequented. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> all accessible by bus if you really wanted to. Absolutely. And I think we, that that's really that was a different time. And then all of a sudden, all of that stuff vanished. Right, all the yeah, parks vanished. It, it all came and went over three summers from seventy, I want to say seventy-seven to eighty. We had skate parks in the Bay Area, the Greater Bay Area. So we. We'd get on BART and go all the way down to Fremont, catch the bus down to Milpitas. We would, we would go and get rides up to Sacramento. We'd go down to San Jose. We would get around. Um, and that was amazing to meet so many different friends and connect with other like-minded skaters um, being city kids. you know. And then that vanished, and we kind of took to the streets at that point and played punk rock music and just found our way, you know? Which I think, as an outsider looking in, you know, I viewed everything through a magazine, right? Being, okay, I'm a skate rat in, you know, New England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Sid Abruzzi from the Water Brothers took care of us. You know, he was our, he was our, you know, had the half pipe on the beach. We would skate it was in the he winter. Your big brother figure, pretty much. 
Some days. Some <laughs> days he was the big brother that gave you the beating for being stupid. And then the other days he'd, he'd like totally take you under his wing and yep. cover our ass when we couldn't afford skateboards and, you know, give us a break and let us pay in sections. And But he was always there. And the same thing with Didi, you know, who was in Providence. And she would do the same thing with us at the skate shop up there when I when I moved to Providence. But, you know, we had the skate hut. Yep. But we lived through the magazines and the videos. Right, like yeah. watching all you guys, and that was the like connection. that was the connection. And yeah. when when the when the when the Bones Brigade came out, and watching you guys like push this the 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 half pipe the jump ramp around, and like everybody bombing the hills and doing all that stuff, that really it really excited everybody. But everybody wanted to look like what everybody looked like in San Francisco. So, did you ever see Tommy and the guys skate out east on tour? I saw not Tommy. But it was actually no, it was it was Tommy Ray Underhill, Tony, um, and not Rodney, but Pierre Wheelander yep. came on that tour. Yeah, and they were in Falmouth, Mass, mm-hmm. and then they came to Water Brothers one time. And to see those guys in person must have been a huge thing. I mean, oh, it was massive. Here are the guys that you look at in videos and photos and magazines, and here they are. Yeah doing it you're they're doing it right in front of you and everybody was like really chill like there was no like it was not an issue of like i hate to say it like regular sports figures where right. they were wasn't fanning out but no you, you could just chill and, yeah. and that thing that you know something that my wife said to me the other day you know when you're at a music hall full of skaters when the music's right and you hear woo, and everybody starts tapping their hand on the table like they're slapping a tail of a board or a nose yep. of a board and whether it was somebody dropping in for the first time or doing your first time like Smith Grind, everybody cheered each other on. And that's what I loved about skateboarding. And yep. that's what they made us feel like when they came still. Well, here's the thing. Skateboarding is accessible to many kids all over the world. Yeah. And say you're really into basketball or football or a mainstream sport. The chances of you playing football with Kobe Bryant or throwing a, a football with your favorite athlete, it's it's rare that it's going to happen. Yeah. In skateboarding, there's accessibility. You can go out and hang out with Eric Costin. It can happen. Well, I think it, that was that was the game changer. Once really I got cool. to drive, yeah, there was a skate park. No, excuse me, it was an indoor roller rink that became a skate park in the summer. And Tommy came out. Julian came out. Um, Mickey came out. Nottis came out, Brian Tusi showed up, Chris Hall was there. It was right when the New Deal started. It was right when, and they all showed up at this indoor roller rink turned skate park. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricky Abisset. Rick Abisetta. Yeah. yeah, Rick Abisetta showed up. He could not put down his Game Boy when he was there. Whenever he wasn't skating, he was playing a Game Boy. Yeah, Rick. <laughs> um, and, you know, watching Brian Tusi ollie somebody's motorcycle in, the, in like... Big ollies. Big ollies. But everybody was cool and everybody was hanging out. And I had a car and I could drive. So we were like hitting spots. And, and that, I think, was the Cadillac tour when they showed up. It for was. That. that was SMA, skateboards. Yeah. And the Cadillac tour showed up with all those dudes. And it was like, holy crap. Like, wow. that was... We were all stuck in traffic one day and Mickey's doing like slappies in the middle of the, in the middle of the highway on like the median. Right. I'm like, dude, get in the car before we, I'm in the car behind them following them. Like you're going to get run over. Wow. (laughs) But those were such amazing 
accessibility moments. Absolutely. And I think, you know, your photographs that you've been taking for so many years makes people feel connectivity to the athletes, to those yeah, skaters. There's, there's a fondness that I find in photos, not just my own, but from times back. And you just like, wow, that's how it was. And it's just, it almost brings a tear to your eye. It's like, it's so cool that you could go to any town in USA and the world for that matter, but it was smaller back then, but you could go to any town and, and just find skaters and hang out and you need a floor space. You need a place to sleep. We got you. You know, yeah. it was total community. Couch surfing now is the way. it's a little more mainstream. You go to a skate park, you don't know anybody. It's, it's just, everybody's a skateboarder now. You know, you look at someone with Vans shoes on or skate apparel and they're fans of skateboarding and then they're skateboarders back then it was just you were a skateboarder yeah so you didn't wear vans unless you skated or surfed correct you never wore a thrasher hoodie unless you skated correct just wasn't even yeah. an option so if you saw somebody with skate shoes on or you're holes like, holes in their shoes you're, you're like, like dude oh, one of my kind what's up dude how are you doing Where, we got a ramp over here you know you, you connected exactly. It was great. Everybody had their skate zines. Everybody put skate zines together in their little towns. It was awesome. So when you were skating, you know, professionally and, and the concerts were going, the concerts, the contests were going on all over. Do you have a favorite that contest, you know, cause there was always like, it wasn't actually the contest that I always thought was the coolest. It was the sessions leading up. Yeah. And it, which, which were always like epic. Well, truth be told that the Savannah Slamma was pretty cool. Um, the obstacles that we built and skated were pretty rough, but that's how it was back then. But just the camaraderie to be in an indoor arena arena and have people yelling, you know, at the top of their lungs and the, the Buddha Buddha wall, which which had, I don't know, seven feet of transition with eight feet of vert. And it was pretty Who built that. Pretty crazy. Blender? That, that was, no. <laughs> Uh, he was probably involved, uh, <laughs> um, but no, it was Jim, Jim, uh, gray. No, no, excuse me. Jim Muir from Dogtown, yep. Fausto Vitello, Kevin Ansel, Craig Stesic, um, numerous guys involved with high speed productions, which was Thrasher, Thrasher magazine and Dogtown and other companies. And they put on this skate event in Savannah, Georgia to showcase and highlight and you know, stoke out kids that were into street skating, you know, and that, that's how Fausto kind of operated back then with Thrasher. He, he just wanted to seed skateboarding in the right spots and let it grow. And he did that first and foremost with some of the first backyard ramp contests, which was like the great De desert ramp battle in Lancaster, uh, California, Joe Lopes ramp jam in San Leandro, the Midwest Malie in Lincoln, Nebraska. He, he kept, seeding skateboarding and getting it to, to flourish that way what well, um what was the 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 ramp outside of virginia beach that everybody used to hit up it was a huge vert ramp oh cedar crest yes yeah cedar crest i never went to but it was its own scene it was on a i believe it was a country club golf course and it was the first big vert ramp out east that had metal uh layer on it so it was super fast it wasn't masonite it was metal like that we had we were fortunate enough in middletown rhode island to have uh ricky quatros had mm -hmm. a huge yard and he had a gigantic vert ramp so we would have fred smith was always there 
we would have all the Alva boys come out. Yeah. Um, and it was a mo- like that thing was scary. Yeah. And they had a metal flat bottom and they would have to coke it up. Yeah. It's too Cover slippery. it with Coca-Cola and let it get sticky. So you wouldn't eat shit. Right. I mean, it was, that was a big boy. Yeah. That ramp scared me. And that was skateboarding, just figuring itself out. You know, what surface worked best? What, what would you have to do to correct something that was kind of not working for you? So, yeah, you spray Coca-Cola on the flat bottom, give it more tack to it, more, more grip. Think about that, like yeah. dropping in and then all of a sudden you like your board floats like three inches over to the side. Right. You're just done. Yeah. Done. I mean, <laughs> I think about all that stuff and like how much it's progressed and technology and the equipment, the shape of boards. Yep. Right. Um, I mean, I'm in a, I like an old shape style. I'm not a popsicle rider. Not that they're bad, but they're different. Yep. You know, um, you know, you still ride a similar still, to your old I, shape. I ride a directional shape because I don't really do switch tricks anymore, and I don't really ride the streets as much as I'm older. I just ride bowls and transitions, and it's I put less into it and get more out of it. Um, if I ollie down five stairs, it just hurts me. I'm not not into it. So I think the popsicle stick stick uh, shape works well with street skating in general. And all the the modern and new tricks, but as an old school skater, I think a directional shape works fine. I love it. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm I'm riding. Yeah. A, yeah, a big. I call it a big. And boy it's boy. cool that we have a choice. Yes. You know? Yep. In the early '90s, you didn't have a choice. You rode a popsicle stick. That's, that's the way right. it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those. It's so. As you've seen the progression of skateboarding. With also photography, I mean, yep. photography's changed dramatically. Absolutely. And. It's all we digital have capture. Digital capture. You can <laughs> see what's going on instantaneously. Right. Um, you don't have to wait. So there's instant gratification. You've seen a massive influx and change with, you have Park Series now, which didn't exist. We have Olympics. tons of female <laughs> skaters, which is awesome. I mean, I remember seeing there was three women on Powell back in the day. Right? Yep. Um, I remember those. Cara, Cara Beth Burnside. Yep. Beth Johnson and one other. I can't remember. There were two female street skaters and one bird skater. But again, like you see the game change now. We have the Olympics coming up. Um, like, and y- you've seen it all. You've been a part of it all. Not only have you, you were shooting in the beginning with film, you saw the change and you saw Tommy Go Pro and you've seen. All of this, these pieces happen. The introduction of the GoPro, the introduction of right. of Instagram pros. You have the phone, <laughs> like capturing, like it's it's gotten so big. Yeah, like, yeah. like I don't even know where to begin anymore when well, I watch some of these guys skate. Well, like, with, with with capturing skateboarding and other action sports, yeah, you can do that with a GoPro or with you know an iPhone, other means, but. A photographer sees light differently. You frame a photograph differently. It just you really need to capture the true moment of action with a proper f- camera. I mean, you can do that in, with an iPhone, but I don't think you're really going to have the tools to really get the right shot. I don't know. It's just, it's great for the layman that just wants to get the scene and and capture their their moment. And that, that's cool. But what I'm trying to say is uh, a real photographer will look at the scene 
and compose a proper image that's lit well. And that will s stick for eternity. And that's the thing that you'll see in printed pages of, Ma of Thrasher Magazine and other mags that exist, which are very few these days. And as kids, yourself included, we used to put photos on our bedroom walls and our school lockers. We would tear them out of the magazines, and those would be the iconic images that's, for that sure. help groom us. Yeah. I mean, we used the magazine. We used step-by-step -step photos. Correct. Do you remember the whole step-by-step -step section yes. in how to do your step hop? I did a but lot of those. No comply, <laughs> but you, it was now no comply back then, step hop. Correct. Right? Yeah. And I remember it. It was Ray Barbie doing a step-by-step -step, step hop. Yeah. That's how we used to learn tricks and showcase tricks in, in Thrasher Magazine. So... Now, yeah, it's now it's on video. Here's a clip of, from an iPhone shared from friend to friend, and you learn the trick, and it's it's done. You know, which is crazy. So the, the progression is that much faster, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would yeah. we would rewind. We'd wait a month. Yeah, we would wait a month to look at the tricks in the magazine or the video. I remember when perfect perfect uh, perfect one the H Street video came out. Mm -hmm. Matt Hensley's part, groundbreaking, groundbreaking skating. And you'd re we rewound the VHS tape so many times we had to buy a new one. Yes, because you're like, how in the fuck did he just do that? And you're like, you're getting you're thinking that if you get closer to the TV, you're going <laughs> to see the trick, but ultimately it just gets fuzzier and fuzzier, and you can't really see what's going on. Right. right. But it was it was so game changing, you know, to see the footage, and then you're like, oh my god, that's possible. And then you'd go out there and just try and try and try and try. Whereas you had somebody like Rodney, who was so secluded from the outside world that he created all these things within his own mind. Right. So he often skated and practiced by himself with nobody around. Which it's so interesting to see how he progressed being solo. Yeah. While the, the world now is building on everything he did. Right. Right. While utilizing his past plus combining like i can't even understand what they're doing nowadays i don't know if they're going which direction they're going right like how can you tell half the time half of the guys can skate equally each stance no problem it's just the way it is it's an impressive as hell you know like what did i see the other day <laughs> i saw a nose pick grind down a handrail to front foot impossible I don't even, I can't even concept it. We call those video game tricks. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, and it's fast. It wasn't yeah. like it was like going real slow. This dude was humming. Yeah, and, and probably within two or three tries. You know, the kids are way more consistent these days. I mean, in the early 90s, when a lot of these technical tricks were happening at Embarcadero, it would take, you know, three or four tries on a roll of film and then put in another roll of film and, three or more tries and at the end of the day I'm looking at 20 rolls of film that are all bail shots and I got one sequence on a roll of film in my camera the rest is all garbage film it was disgusting but it was his history in the making you had to document it and then you know another year later and we started doing frame grab video captures and printing it in the magazine with a low resolution it looked horrible but that's how the progress had had to, to move it forward you know? well it's also you know you're throwing away film it, it was before digital photography and that's 
that's what we had to do. So let's talk about the Embarcadero. Sure. I think that spot alone, like when did that become the spot? Like what was the moment where everybody goes, hey, this is crazy. This is a rad spot to skate. Because I remember when they outlawed it, nobody could skate there. Now everybody's skating there again. So I'm not sure what's going on. Well, well, let me back up a little bit because we used to skate Embarcadero in the late 80s. We used to ride the tube, if you remember that tube. Yeah. It was like a wave. And we'd carve back and forth on it and skate on that. But we didn't really know how to ollie, um, like street ollies. So it wasn't really a spot, so to speak. The next generation of street skaters after us in San Francisco, James Kelch, Mike Carroll, Javante Turner, Carl Watson, James, I said James already. Um, all these guys, Chico, Chico Bernays, thank you very much. They all took over this stretch of bricks, which is the hardest thing to skate on small wheels, which were probably, I don't know, 50 millimeter or under at that time. That was ridiculous. And part these of the guys were time. all skating on small wheels on the bricks, riding these blocks and doing super technical tricks. And that was their their spot day in, day out. And they were progressing street skating. It was beautiful. It was amazing to see what these guys were doing. Do you think Gons alling that gap was the game changer for that space? Do you think that made it? I don't think it was a game changer, but I think it was like, oh, shit, that was done there. It was a benchmark. And from that benchmark, more were pushed to improve and go past that benchmark. And there was also the big seven set, the big four set, the stage. They're all little spots that were all within a spot that became, you know, gauges for those benchmarks. It was great. I mean, that lasted, that scene lasted from like 91 till 97, I believe. It was pretty, pretty impressive until they renovated the whole area. And now today, guys still go there and try to, you know, get some tricks just for prosperity's sake. You know, like, oh, that's, I did something at EMB, but yeah, I those, saw, those, I saw those times were there. special. They really were. I mean, that was that was a huge component of the magazines for a long time. A lot of video footage there. Yep. Yep. A lot of magazine shots there. What other spots can come right to mind for you for San Francisco? Definitely Fort Miley. Fort Miley's always been a benchmark spot. Um, of what has been done or can be done there. Um, once they added the um, security bars on top of it, then it became not an obstacle, but more of a challenge. Who can ollie over that bar? And John Cardiel did that first. And then Phil Shaw did it. And then there's been grinds off of it. I mean, yeah, Fort Miley's one of them. And then just the hills. The hills in San Francisco, we used to dominate as we thought, you know, especially the avenues, 9th Avenue, 10th, 11th, backside. I know, 9th, I see you guys, I see them all ripping I mean, down. That was, that was our terrain. We'd, we'd go up, we'd take the bus for nickel up the hill and back and forth for like three hours on one nickel. And it was like our chairlift to go skate all afternoon. <laughs> it was our chairlift, Muni, Muni bus. Nowadays, there's the GX um, 1000 crew, and those guys are skating the hills like it's unbelievable how fast and gnarly these guys are all over San Francisco. 
and loose ass trucks. Let's just throw loose that Loose trucks doing a trick on a ledge out down the sidewalk and then bomb the hill. It's just, I'm, I'm fucking stoked. It, these guys are just taking it to a whole different level. It's really cool. What's really funny is, you know, I live out in the avenues. I live between 11th and 12th. Yep. So they're still bombing those hills. Now, there's a uniform for bombing the hills now. Uh, so everybody's wearing the same color hoodie, same color pants. Uh, so if shit hits the fan, everybody can scatter and nobody can be found. Wow. So it's not like, hey, it's you. That's sharp. There was 20 of them bombing down the hill. Wow. But it's always, inevitably when they're bombing, there's always like the one slowpoke kid that's yeah. always the one I'm worried about going to get hit. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're all bombing and everybody goes. And then the traffic starts to go. And, and then here comes Slowpoke Gonzalez, like the last kid through. Right. right. And he's like, he's going to be the one. Right. It, it's crazy to see. <laughs> like they're who, ripping. The guy in first is the gnarly one because he doesn't have anybody blocking the intersection for him down below. Well, you, none of them. They don't you know. do any intersection blocks anymore. <laughs> oh, they don't? No, they're just going. I'm not wow. seeing any intersection blocks where I live. Wow. They're just letting it rip. No blinkies, no nothing. Like, right. you get a blinky on you at night? Yeah. Great, smart move. Right. Like, I won't. I think it's hysterical. Yeah. You know, but like, I'm always afraid one of them is going to get hit. Dark clothing at night? Not yeah. so. Not so smart. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, it wouldn't be as much of a challenge, I guess. Right. So when you start to like look at, you know, your transition from, you know, professional skating, full-blown photography, and then, you know, you were you were doing stuff with Thrasher. You then, you moved to Portland and did some big work here. I mean, you also transformed a traditional, <clears throat> what I would like to say is a traditional sporting shoe mm -hmm. company. Yep. You transitioned them to basically acknowledge that there was a whole group of people out there wearing their shoes for something they never expected them to wear them for. That's true. I mean, as you remember, your buddy Eric Pupecki used to wear Adidas back in the early 90s. Yep. As did Chico and a few other guys. They were all wearing the shell toes and the campus shoe. So yep. <clears throat> I got approached by Adidas to um, start up their marketing for their second push into skateboarding. And um, I took the offer and, and the job, and I was working out of my house in San Francisco and helping um, build the team and get the ad agency in place. And uh, it's a lot of back and forth. Every two weeks I was up in Portland, and I got the okay from Adidas to move north because me and my wife had come up here, and she really liked Portland, so we decided to move up here. And, you know, San Francisco was changing, as you know, and we decided just to make the move. So we did with the help of, of Adidas and um, came up here in February of 2007. So from then, um, I continued to build the team, got Dennis Buzinitz on, and from that point forward, we just really started to move forward. And the, the shoes were getting a lot better than the first uh, line of shoes that they had come out with. And Dennis was definitely an uh, important part of that. And uh, I built the team all the way up till um, Silas uh, Baxter Neal. And then it was just really hard for me to work in a corporate environment and making, trying to make changes that would take, you know, weeks or months to happen. And I just got frustrated. So um, I was an independent contractor and I, I moved on. So really proud of Adidas and what they've done and, and how they've given back to skateboarding, which is really important for a corporation to do. 
Um, I think they've done a good job of that, and the shoes they put out are great. So no regrets there. They got me up to the Northwest, and I really love it here, and um, I'm still involved in skateboarding. I'm, I'm totally blessed for that, you know? So And now so, Tony's up here, too. Yeah, and, and I guess I was the first of the bay area guys to move up here um tony's here tony guerrero is here mickey and, and mickey reyes now has a bar up here and he's he's been up here for several years joe brooke is up here we've got matt milligan um just so many guys scott johnston a lot of guys have moved up here and now portland really has a lot of heavy hitters that are contributing to the well-being of skateboarding out of out of portland proper yeah. which is awesome yeah Really I mean, cool. you guys, how often do you get to go skate Burnside or do you not? Um, I go there usually in the mornings because when it's a blowout session, I, I'm the old man skating around. And I don't want to get in anybody's way. You know, that's the <laughs> last thing I want to do. So I, I go in the mornings, you know, just it's low key. I've got a board up here. I just haven't gone yet. I get the, yeah. I get the kibosh from Tommy every time I want to go. Like yeah. somehow or another, Tommy can figure out where I am and he knows I'm going to go and he gets it squashed before I get there. <laughs> Because he's like, if you break your your hands, you're right. screwed. Well, that's the other thing is like, if I get seriously injured, I am not shooting photography. I'm not traveling like I need to. So yeah. I'm really cautious. I wear a helmet, but I don't wear pads. I'm just not a pad guy. But, you know, I'll wear a helmet. My wife asked me to please do that. And that's not a huge ask. But, um, yeah, I just limit my uh, my activity. I do do carves and grinds and rock and rolls and a few couple airs and that I'm happy. It's cool. I love just carving. Yeah. It's such a good just feeling. feeling the wind in your face is great. You know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, and you know, for, for me, it was really fun when we, when we announced that we were doing the shoe with Vans and you and I talked about it and you know, I asked that they have you shoot and video shoot and we right. went down to Potrero and somehow or another, you talked me into wearing the actual kitchen shoes to skate in, which horrified me because I was right. so scared. Right. Because they have reverse soles. And, there you go. Yeah. But it was so much fun carving in there. And it's by the end of it, I actually felt comfortable. It was in the beginning when I was pretty rough. Yeah. But yeah. it's that moment, like getting the feel back, getting pumping well, action it's going. It's confidence. Yeah. If you have the confidence, you're on. One one second or one the moment that you think like, I don't know if I can do this or you, you, you think don't. of the the gnarly slam you're putting yourself at risk. So don't even go there. But if you're confident, confidence will lead you on. It was so in much everything fun. in life. And I think that's been amazing. Like you and I have crossed paths so many places yep. just by chance half the time, Yep. you know, and, and you've had the opportunity to shoot in so many amazing places. You've been to mainland China, uh, Brazil. Yeah. Um, you've been to all through Europe. Um, you know, where has been the most fun well, for you? Well, being in Canada, Montreal was great this past summer with, <laughs> with you and your wife. And we got to go to uh, Papillon, and uh, it was great. I mean, I love Montreal. It's such a foodie city and a great skate culture there. Now they have a skateboard park because most of the skaters in Montreal, they're street skaters. And that's just because that's what they have. They don't really have much transitions. And they deal with harsh winter. Gnarly winter. But now they've got a a world-class skateboard park that, in the Olympic center that, at the Olympic center where they can go. And it, it's awesome. They're going to have really good s skaters coming out of there that ride tranny. 
What was that gnarly, gnarly transition piece that they rode that they had to fight to keep? What was that thing? What do you mean? The park? In, no, not even the, the new park. In the Olympic Park, they had that gnarly oh, entrance. Oh. oh, there's there's a... Was it a whistle? Was name, was well, it was shaped after a whistle for a, a referee, but it's called the Big O. And I'm sure those skaters that are listening to this podcast know that the Big O is a world-renowned spot for skaters. It's gnarly. And it's super tight tranny. It's probably like three or four foot tranny and really difficult to skate. But the locals have it dialed and they saved that spot from being demolished because when the new soccer stadium was being built, they had to move the original entrance to that old stadium called the Big O. So they petitioned and lobbied and got the Big O saved. They put it on some uh, wheels and moved it several yards away to be relocated and it still sits. It still lives. It's amazing. That thing was yeah. nuts. I walked over yeah. and looked at it and I was petrified if like to even think about skating that thing. Yeah. Too tight. So I mean that's just the power of of the love of skateboarding and skateboarders that they will fight hard for something that they believe in. And they saved their spot, you know. And uh yeah, I, I love Montreal and that was a great time to share with you and your wife and that was fun. That was, was a really nice surprise. It was really cool. Yeah. For sure. So. so when you look at all these cool places like Sao Paulo, Brazil, right? You know, you get to go there and, and, and shoot the, 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 the park series. I mean, do you have anybody you really enjoy shooting more? I mean, that's maybe the bad way to ask. It's like asking somebody which kid they like. When well, they have I have favorites. Children. I have favorites, but I respect all skateboarders, you know, new or, new or old or accomplished or not. I just, I have a profound effect and respect for skateboarders i mean um, there's there's stuff that i've seen that i just can't get over like the padless padless mctwists and uh who's that new kid that just turned pro this summer for toy machine um cj Collins. cj yeah watching that kid blend street tricks into the park yep no complied tail slides kick flips and roll-ins kick, i mean yeah, the kid yeah. ripped yeah absolutely I, I was just flabbergasted watching him in montreal but then watching them do padless mctwists and like huge airs. I just think the risk factor is gnarlier without pads, obviously, but these guys are so tuned in and precise that when they bail, they just butt slide and they get away with it. And I think that's great. I just wonder um, how they'll feel in their forties and fifties, but maybe they won't feel anything because they're so used to it. And it's a different way of skateboarding, how they can bail and just, you know, butt slide out of it. Well, there's, I see him run out. I've seen the butt well, slide. I don't think running out's going to be great in the long term. No, I your think your joints, your knees, your back, you're going to be screwed. But maybe butt sliding is the way to skate padless. Not sure. I don't know. We'll I'm not wait, trying it. We'll have to wait 20 years and see what's up. Oof. <laughs> Can't even think about it. You've been shooting a lot of, um, of uh, Lizzie Armada. Yep. And I mean, she's amazing. Amazing. Such a talented, just a talent, like unlike not not just in skateboarding, but just how she runs her life and how she does things. Yeah, she's really she thinks a lot about what she's going to do in in the competition scene and um, in her runs. Um, she's methodical a little bit, you know, about planning what she's going to throw down. It's really cool. 
Um, she's not haphazard at all. That's what I'd like. You know. So with, with the Olympics coming up, um, are you going to be shooting? Do you know? Are you hoping? I'm, I'm trying to check it out. I'd like to put that on my resume to say, yeah, I'm shooting the Olympics. But there's a, a lot of back and forth. And um, let's just say there's some hoops to jump through. I'm so sure. I'm trying to get there. I already have my tickets purchased. I am going to be in Tokyo 2020 at least to observe as a spectator because I want to be there for the first one. But hopefully I'm shooting it. And that's what I'd like to do. You should be. If yeah. anybody should be. I, I mean, I've been, shooting, right I've been shooting events for probably like steadily for the last 15 years. I think I'm more accomplished and, and knowledgeable about shooting events than anybody out there. And I'm not, that's not my ego speaking. That's just fact. So, yeah, I'd like to do it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I would love that. I'd love to see that. So can you tell everybody about your circles? My love circles? That. Oh, you're talking about Circular Sunday. Circular Sunday. So on Instagram, I I started this hashtag, God, when Instagram started, what, 2008? Something like that. But I've been shooting circles on film for like probably 15 years now. Um, it started in Paris when I was with my wife on our uh, trip where I proposed to her and I was shooting all these different circles in, in uh, architecture around Paris, doorknobs, plates of food, just wherever I saw a circle, I just started documenting it. So when Instagram started, I saw these hashtags and I started my own circular Sunday and it's been going strong since Instagram and my account began. And now it's kind of, you know, gained steam. People do, do their own circle uh, setups. And I still just shoot circles. I, I love it because it's one geomet geometric shape that you see everywhere. And it changes. I'm looking at a circle right now across from me. Um, so it's, it's fun. It's fun to, like, do a set, you know, from a trip or from a, an experience or a restaurant or, you know, wherever you're at so I can do circular Sunday from Montreal again, or one from Paris. It, it's just a cool, fun, creative thing. It's super fun. I love seeing it. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, you know, if people want to find some of these great old prints that you've shot, you mm -hmm. have a website where people can access those, those iconic shots that you've taken that they may have seen in magazines. You've done socks with stance. Yes. Um, you yeah. just did a whole thing with, uh, Jordans, yep, which yep. was awesome. Yep, the Jordan brand did a whole retro uh, look on my photography of the '80s with these two shoes that they released. So yeah, I've worked with Jordan, which is great because back in the day there weren't a lot of skate shoes other than Vans, and a lot of guys um, took to the Jordan One because of the the construction of the shoe and and the support that it offered. And we were jumping off ramps to flat or wall rides to flat. So we needed more support on our ankles. So we rode the Jordan 1 exclusively for uh, two or three years. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So my, my photography um, archive, I have some prints that are available for purchase. And I do special orders and whatnot. But it's through Etsy. I have an Etsy site that is uh, pretty cool. It's linked through my Instagram. And... Um, you can purchase photos there for your for your house or for your office, whatever you want. Yeah. So for kids right now that are interested in shooting photography, anyone sh interested in shooting photography, I mean, what do you what do you what what would you tell them? What is your what is your advice for somebody that's whether it's trying to shoot a 
picture of food, some flowers, or whether they're shooting somebody skiing or, or skating or right. whatever. What, is, what do you recommend or what is your advice to them? Well, film or digital, I just think you should always look through your viewfinder, for one. So you're composing your image and, and see the light. Look at where the light is falling on, say, a, a glass of water, you know, and, and study the light a little bit. And then from that, you can apply that to whatever subject you're shooting. You know, it could be a guy playing volleyball with his girlfriend, but know where the light is coming from. There's always one light source, and it's usually called the sun. So you have the sun on one side, and if you have deep shadows from the other side, you just kind of fill it with another flash. And that's, that's using two lights, the sun and a flash. And that's basic lighting. It's really easy. So um, read magazines, study books, look at photos that you really like and figure out who that photographer is or how they lit it or how they didn't light that photo and just um, yeah, expand from there. And what about those folks who, who are listening to this podcast that don't understand what skating can do? And I think this is really important. I try to get people to understand like skating is a really for me, I mean, I feel very fortunate. I mean, as a young man, I looked up to you and Tommy and, mm -hmm. and, and all these guys. And, and now I can honestly say we're all friends and that, yeah. and as a young man, I would have never thought that in the world. And, you know, I really appreciate our friendship because I learn a lot from you guys and we can hang out and, you know, go out to dinner and shoot the shit about old times, but also we can still go carve and have fun. And yes. whether it's go see the Matson two or go watch Tony play or right. watch Tommy play, be that it, it's always fun but i think the skateboarding gives a connectivity like we were talking about a little bit earlier that it, i like to say it's conviviality without team commitment yeah i mean maybe that's a crazy way that's of true. thinking about it but and i think for me that's what that always was it allowed me to be myself in a group where you were allowed to be yourself well that's that's the thing about skateboarding it's it's not the team sport. It's individ individual, supported by others, but it's still just an individual thing, and it's creative. It's a creative outlet. It's an art form. It's, in its bare thinking, it's not a sport activity. It's, it's a creative activity. It's, it's an art form. So I keep going back and forth on those terms, but that's how I see it, and I always will see it. Um, it, gives you, it gives you a way of thinking about life and your goals independently of others. So it, it's a true aesthetic of um, DIY thinking, do it yourself. And if I didn't have skateboarding in my life at such an early age, I don't think I would have seen other venue, uh, you know, not venue, other ways to do things on my own. So I think it gives you a free thinking, independent spirit of how to tackle opportunities and different challenges in, in life and meet other people and just kind of see things differently from the street level when you're just skating by as opposed to just being in a car and not noticing. When you're in, on a skateboard and you have that experience, you, you just see the big picture kind of. You really, you really do. You see how life moves by. Um, so I just like to say that I think skateboarding just gives you a set of 
eyes that are different than others, how you see the world and how you navigate through it. And we all support each other, but um, collectively we're all, we're all stronger for it, you know? So the, you know, I've asked this question of other people before. Um, I saw an interview with Jerry Seinfeld, and I'm sure you might have heard about this, but he said, you know, I really think that skateboarders are the wave of the future because they keep falling down and they keep getting up and they don't stop until they can do what they're trying to do. That's completely accurate. And I think completely. I wouldn't be who I am mm-hmm. without that. That really shaped me. Yeah. And I, I keep going back to that every day. It's like you get knocked down, you get up, and you keep going. I mean, that was the thing. Like, yeah. you know what? Yep, I fell. I'm getting up. I can't land that. I'm going to do it again. What did I do wrong? You keep figuring and figuring and figuring. It's the same thing with life. We get knocked down. We get back up. We keep going. Right, right. So, I mean, I think <clears throat> what you just said is totally true. And if skateboarding was an easy part of our life where you just, you're just throwing a Frisbee and throwing it back and forth, can't get hurt, it's relatively safe, it'd get kind of boring. In skateboarding, there's a thrill and a danger, and that's the attraction. You can get hurt. Oh, yeah. You can get really hurt, <laughs> but you'll get back up, you'll take the cast off, and you're going to still skateboard. Oh, you're probably going to go back to the same spot where you broke it. Right. And try to do what you were doing before. Right. Because it's just, there's this thing about it that gives you a satisfaction that it's not bragging rights. It's just you feel good. And why would you live life if you don't feel good about it? So it just keeps you going. It propels you. So we're running towards the end here, and I want to do something that we do on a regular basis, which is a quick fire. So it's just straight up one or the other. Okay? Okay. Red I'm or white. I'm, I'm new to this. Red or white? Um, I'll go white, kind of neutral. Coffee or tea? Oh, definitely coffee, all the way. Okay. Regular coffee or fancy barista coffee? Barista. Milk, no milk. I could do no milk. Beer or tequila? Tequila, because I don't drink beer anymore. No, I didn't know that. Uh, Nigiri or sashimi? I like nigiri. Hamburger, hot dog? Hamburger. Ketchup or mustard? Definitely mustard. Beef or pork? We'll go beef. Fruit or candy? Fruit. A lot of people like candy. Nature's candy. A lot of people like candy. Wow. A lot of people. I like fruit. Put it Um, in anything. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, ice cream or chocolate? Ice cream. More flavors. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Caviar, sea urchin. Ooh, sea urchin. Shrimp or lobster? Lobster. Love that. I love lobster too. It's easy. Yeah. Uh, East Coast. East Coast. Yeah. Uh, oysters or clams? Raw. Oh, definitely clams. Not a lot of people but, pick clams on the half show. But shelf. you just said raw. So yeah. That threw me off because I've never had raw clams. You haven't? Oh, so you're an oyster. So probably oysters. Raw clams are my favorite. 
I was like totally stoked. I was like, dude, yeah. you like rock clams? That's an, that's an East Coast thing I grew up okay. with. Uh, ski or snowboard? Oh, definitely snowboard. It's, I mean, I can ski, but I've snowboarded for years. So Awesome. More float, more powder. Depends. Skis are getting fat now. They're pretty close. That's true. <laughs> but all the kids now, they ski. They don't snowboard. It's changed. It's crazy. Yeah, there's definitely the part. They look at the guy on the snowboard as an old guy. It's crazy. Isn't it amazing how that has evolved? Yeah. Talk about an involvement. Absolutely. Snowboarding saved, pretty much saved the ski industry. Absolutely. And then now it's making the involvement back because of the big tricks. Like the other day I saw an 11-year-old kid do a backflip off, a, off like a 25-foot cliff. That's right. You guys went to squaw. Yeah, which was awesome, which was super fun. Um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate you taking time. It Thank really you so means much, a lot, Chris. and uh, cool. it's a pleasure to have you. And yep. I'm looking forward to you know feeding you as always. And uh, cool. let's do some more fun, fun adventures Absolutely. this year. Absolutely, let's do it. I look forward to it. Thanks cool. for being here. Thank you. All right, cheers, Chris. Woo!